the Mindset Athlete Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. I'm a two-time Paralympian and owner of James Robert Fitness, which is an online training, nutrition, and mindset coaching business. And each week on the Mindset Athlete, we like to bring you inspirational athletes, a message, or experts talking about human optimization to teach you how to change your perception of your mindset and become 1% better. And on today's show, I've got Kian Logi. So welcome onto the show, Kian. Thank you, James. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. All the way from Colombia. That's my absolute pleasure. And at least I didn't uh, get your name wrong like we did in the, the preview. So before we get started with today's topic, Log, uh, Kian, can you kind of give a dis- brief description for the listeners? Obviously, you and I have talked at length over social media. So I know a bit about your background from coming from the the heights of getting to the NFL. But what's it kind of been like going from having a perspective from the outside of people thinking you of masculinity being quite big to going to, most people can't see you, to, to what you look now as a, as a coach? What was that kind of initial idea to make that transformation? Yeah, uh, to be honest with you, I had no idea what I was going to do when I finished playing football, when I got the news that uh, I would never be able to play again due to an injury. Uh, so I was a finance major in college, so I, I thought that's what I wanted to do. Uh, but when I got home after I got the news, I realized that had nothing to do with what I actually wanted to do. So at that point, uh, and we talked about this, but uh, I literally had an intuitive drive to just go to the library and read for about five or six hours a day for about a month straight. Uh, I didn't know, like I said, I didn't know what I want to do. I was at home, jobless, uh, living in my parents' basement, but that's what I thought I should do. So I went to the library. Uh, one book led to another, and eventually I picked up a book called The Biology of Belief, uh, centered around a topic called epigenetics. Uh, epigenetics is meaning above genes or how the environment or your perception of the environment plays a role in how our genes are expressed. Basically meaning we have way more control over our physical health and our futures than we could possibly imagine. So I'm like, holy crap, I got to get in a position to talk about this. And uh, that's where the whole coaching thing really started to come into fruition. Um, I didn't know how I was going to do it, but I knew I wanted to be able to speak on this subject on a massive scale. So I remember a guy offering me a job as a personal trainer uh, about four months prior to that. I'm like, well, that's the health industry. That kind of gets me closer to it. So I'm just going to do that. And gave him a call, uh, got a job. I was in my hometown in Sioux Falls, South Dakota uh, in the United States and did that for about two months, Uh, worked my way to the top of the company and did really, really well and realized I was peaked out as far as growth goes, um, emotionally, spiritually, socially. So I wanted to leave and go somewhere completely different from small town USA uh, in South Dakota. So I got together with a good friend of mine and we decided to go to beautiful, sunny uh, Miami. And uh, so literally within four months of you know, getting the news that I'd never be able to play again, uh, I was in my car, packed up, driving down 26 hours to Miami, Florida, uh, where I got a job as a personal trainer in a gym called Equinox. Um, so I did that for a year. I uh, realized I did not want to work for anybody anymore and decided to go on my own completely. I purchased an online coaching program to teach me how to do that. 
and uh, went online entirely with my coaching. And I've done that for about seven months now. And uh, I'm coaching a ton of people online. And uh, I moved to Colombia uh, in South America about three months ago. So I was in Miami and now I'm in Colombia. And really, I'm just like, I'm trying to gain as much wisdom and knowledge and experience as I possibly can. So I'm just trying to put myself in as many um, situations where I can be very uncomfortable uh, as much as I can. And uh, so that brings me here. I'm coaching people here in Colombia. I've like met people here that want to get coached by me. So it's super cool. So I'm doing it here and online. And I'm excited to see where uh, my next venture takes me. And can you talk about coaching in the flesh as well? Is, is lang- a language a barrier at all? Or is that making it a little bit more easy to accept because you're talking about being out of your comfort zone? So a language barrier is very much one of those. Yeah, so in regard to the coaching clients here, there's actually a big community of expats or people that don't really have like a set location. So a lot of people aren't from here. It's people that have met through the entrepreneur community uh, that speak English, but I'm also taking Spanish lessons online, so I'm getting better and going to be able to cater to some of those. Um, so I can kind of cater to some of those uh, Spanglish-speaking people, uh, kind of like me. Um, but most of my clients here are actually uh, not from here. And if we go right back to obviously you being told you'll not be able to play, uh, well, probably a passion of yours that you've done probably from probably peewee football. What kind of that did that do to you both mentally, spiritually, and emotionally? Yeah, I, I guess I, t- I go back to the time when uh, kind of the backstory of it was was I got signed by an NFL team. Uh, I had an MRI on my neck. Uh, to, once I passed that physical, I was able to play. Uh, basically, I didn't pass that physical due to uh, an issue that they found on the MRI. They found that I had a gap between my C6 and C7 in my cervical to where if I would have played, then the doctor said I was at a risk factor of 3.5 out of 4 to get paralyzed. So I got the news while I was in Kansas City with the Chiefs uh, that I could never play again. So the moment that happened, uh, obviously a flood of emotions hit me, right? Like, like fear. Okay. What am I going to do next? Like crying just because I'm never going to do the thing that I said I was going to do since I was in second grade. Right. So all these emotions just hit me and I just let it all out. I was in the hotel room and just cried. I remember like punching a pillow, like punching my bed, like letting all these emotions out. Um, and didn't like hold it in. I just let it all go. And when I did that, uh, about like five hours later, I was able to, sit back and say, okay, what am I going to do next? And I know the one thing that I can't do is allow myself to dwell on this and sit in it and continue to just say, oh, poor me. Um, But to keep the intention in mind that there is something big that I'm meant to do and there is a big message that I'm meant to be spreading. And uh, it's obviously not through the NFL, so it's going to be through another outlet. So at that point, I knew when I got home, I had to do something and to take some kind of action. That's what led me to going to the library. Um, but really knowing that no matter what, like I'm meant to be speaking, I feel like in a, um, large setting and the NFL gate would have given me that platform to do that in regards to influencing people, but I knew that wasn't it. So it's obviously going to be something bigger. So keeping that in the forefront of my mind, that it's going to be something bigger than that really allowed me to continue to move forward and be able to listen to my intuition that told me to be, to go to the library, right? Which got me to where I am now, which is still guiding. And do you think? having that emotional 
outburst, outcrying has given you a greater sense to know the real you. And then when somebody does come to you and say, well, these are my problems. Okay. This is my, this is my quote unquote low point. And you can gauge it could be slightly better than yours or it could be slightly worse. And it kind of puts things in perspective for people. Do you think that has definitely helped you going from what was your lifelong dream to be able to put it in a, in a box, so to speak, for people to take on from a coaching perspective? Yeah, certainly. And in regard to the relatability factor, in regard to me being able to share that with people, I think it's huge. But one big thing, James, that I've learned through this process of working with people is that trauma and negative experiences in regard to how people perceive them is entirely relative. So, for example, in third grade, there could have been somebody that um, was sexually abused by somebody very close to them for a year straight. Or there could be somebody as the same thing in third grade where their best friend simply leaves them and moves somewhere else. Trauma is all relative. So these two people in scenario one and scenario two could perceive that trauma in the exact same way and actually influence them in the exact same way. So what we conceive as being much worse or better uh, in regard to our, like, our minds and general understanding of things, uh, we can't even begin to comprehend it because it's, it's solely up to the experience of that individual and what happened during that phase. So I can use it to relate, um, but more so to let people understand that like, just because something small happened to you doesn't mean the impact wasn't massive on your life. Or you could have this massive limiting belief or massive fear because of one small event. It could have been that small event that their best friend left them in third grade, right? So uh, that's kind of a big thing that a lot of people, that I like to express to people is that just because we perceive it as something that's small, doesn't mean the impact wasn't massive. Well, I think that I can echo that one, Kim, because people from external factors will say to me, well, you've overcome adversity with having a disability, but I never see it as that. But then you, if I take a step back and say, and see it through their eyes and walk in their, in their shoes, like, well, yeah, it could be perceived as an adverse situation, but because of the environment I put myself in, from a sporting sense and maybe one that was very active. It's like, well, I, I know I have a disability, but what what is going to be the limiting factor to that? It's going to be me. So I'm going to push forward with that. It's probably when I've hit rock bottom with the mental health side of things, it's maybe kind of dawned on me. It's like, well, this I wasn't prepared for. Now I can relate to people when they have traumatic experiences and say, uh, have an amputation, um, that trauma in general, I've got a little bit of empathy. I know where you're coming from, whereas before, because I didn't have that related, ah, I can't say the word, um, the actual relatability. relatability to them because I didn't perceive myself as having an adverse situation. Now I can. because Okay, the mind one is probably on one hand more difficult because you can't see it and uh, the physical disability you can so i think maybe it's that one has helped and and it and i kind of kind of move forward i can i can i'm a better listener uh very much don't read too much into somebody's written backstory as to that they've got this problem it's like well you could do this 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 
here's, here's your actions. I'm not saying to do one thing, but here's steps you could take and you choose one which you think is more suitable to you. Yeah, no, certainly. And uh, to kind of dive a little deeper into uh, the whole, um, I guess, action side of it in regard to uh, people experiencing things, be able to relate to those people that are experiencing those things um, with you, especially, right? Like you had, most people perceive that as something that's huge, but you and your, in your mind, you're like, you know, like it really isn't. But at the same time, I think for you, it's really important to acknowledge that there could have been a time when it was huge and make sure that, uh, you adequately express all that emotion associated with that. So when you first got the news, did you suppress it and immediately say, Hey, you know, like this, not this, this isn't a big deal. I'm going to overcome this and like suppress all the emotion that you're feeling. Or did you allow yourself to feel all of it in that moment and get it all out and express it so it no longer would uh, link, uh, show up in the future? So basically what I'm saying is, you know, like when I cried my eyes, I was punching the pillow and doing all that stuff. But that was my way of expressing and releasing all of that. And I think a lot of people that are very strong people, I would consider myself one of those people, we think that our problems aren't very big, so we just suppress them. We're like, oh, that's not a big deal. So I'm going to suppress this emotion. I'm going to keep it in because I can get through it without having to actually show it, which ends up having issues later down the road, which is why most people end up having a lot of issues uh, with past events because they're not able to actually express them in that moment of when they happen. So we're very strong people, but have to recognize that the strength comes from the expression of the emotion, not the suppression of it, which ultimately allows you to get over things in the future. I don't know. In terms of me, kid, I think that's probably a catch-22. I, I would say it was a, not a problem growing up because you – I wasn't told until I was a teenager anyway that, that the nature of the disability is actually – I won't say worse, but more severe than, than I make it out to be. And it was more – not suppressing my feelings as a teenager, but suppressing it from – not being, I wouldn't say even being judged, but being that notion that I am being judged because I have a disability. So I would hide it away. And I think it was my junior year. I thought, well, all these factors that you're having to deal with in the springtime and summertime, nobody else has to deal with it. You do. So I thought kind of was like, well, get a grip with yourself to some extent and wear shorts because you wore shorts in PE. So the dis- there's a little bit of disconnect there. What's the problem with wearing it the rest of the time? So once I did that, I kind of like, fine. And I'll say to people who have got amputations themselves, if somebody comments to you and say, well, you should hide that away, it's not on you to do it. They have the problem. And you'll probably see that loads over social media when it's that people like that like-minded sense. It's that's the person that needs to change. You're passing judgment on somebody else. Well, you go change your beliefs before you put put them on an APR. So it's it's like one of those things. I think maybe that that inner belief that you talk about. Yeah, there's been times where I probably wish for something different, but then you, you think more positively, and I think, well, the sporting sense. I'm probably a little bit grateful because it's like, well, you wouldn't have got to the the accolades that I have done 
without the disability. So on that one hand, it's probably taken to retirement to realize that. It's like, yeah, that is success in itself. My objectivity of it, well, of, I probably put it on parallels with pro sports of the NFL, NBA, and people wanting to get to that height. The gold medal is probably similar. Well, how many people are going to achieve that? Probably not very many. So to be able to be grateful to even don the team's colors, well, that's an achievement itself. So when people turn around and say, oh, you haven't got a gold medal, you're not very successful. Generally, it's generally teenagers like, yeah, yeah, I've got enough confidence to be able to come back at you and say, you come speak to me when you make a national team and we can talk and that'll bring people down a couple of pegs. It's like, well, you're perceiving things to be successful. It doesn't have to be all the way at the top. It's success is, is relative to you as the person. It's determined by what you see. I think you and I will both agree. Athletes aren't the best at looking at, you know, the small wins. We kind of focus on the, the end results the process in between is well i've got to go to, i got to go to, go for the grind anyway those aren't small wins that's just normal if i want to get from a to b i have to do it and yeah. we forget about that that stuff in between and, and turn around well ah yeah i've actually accomplished everything <laughs> every day and it's it, i think when people say it to me i'm thinking yeah i i'm i'm grateful for the big win but i forget about all those those little ones in between yeah, I, I, I couldn't agree more. And it, it's funny that you bring that up because I feel like behind every single like phenomenal athlete or somebody that's achieved a lot uh, in their life is the sense of slight inadequacy in a way, right? Like what, what causes us to keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and keep pushing and not actually stop and, and pat ourselves on the back for one minute and, get, and be thankful and grateful for what we've accomplished? Like why is it that that's not enough? You know, so behind every single person that's achieved a lot tends to be a little bit of insecurities uh, because we, we we're pushing so hard because we feel like we're not enough in and of ourselves, right? So being able to like identify that and be aware of that, I think is huge. And being able to stop and consciously make the effort to reflect on all the things that you've done and accomplished is a way to do that. Uh, like you said, I... I really never did that. Like on my way to getting to the NFL, like I always just, like you said, thought everything that I did was just the next thing, the next thing. I, it was just supposed to happen, right? This accolade or this accomplishment, like, okay, that was meant for me to, like this being captain, like do all these things, like that had to happen for me to get to this point. So I didn't really think of it as a big deal. But eventually that, that, that can wear on somebody, right? You, you have to be able to appreciate the times you have, otherwise you're going to, you're going to pass through life just flying by, going to the next thing, next thing, next thing. So uh, like you said, I think, it's a, I think it's just so, so important for anybody that's trying to accomplish anything or do anything big to appreciate and acknowledge where they're currently at. Uh, so I feel like they can move forward at a faster rate, but also be able to enjoy the time that they have while they're getting to where they want to be. And Keir, in your opinion, do you think that mentality is one of a sheep mentality because everybody is doing it? So we must keep striving for wanting to do the next best thing. So wanting to 
oh, you'll talk about, you know, the grind. I must have to do more than somebody else if I want to get to the next level. But you're thinking, well, you, you kind of, like you said, you, you're, you're missing a step because you're not giving yourself a pat on the back, which will help because you're not oh, always in, well, borderline on the red. And then when you turn around, when you haven't done it, Oh, I haven't done anything. To, I've not. I've. I've. I've not. I've not. I've missed my practice this morning. Oh, I'm. Go, I'm gonna have to slate myself. And you could kind of go with that mantra of negative self-talk. And I've caught people in coaching. It's like, have you listened to what you've just written? Well, I think it was this this morning as we were recording, somebody brought. I can't do a voice note on Facebook. Well, why can't you? That's a that's that's a negative thing right there. Right. I I put it that I said, is it because it's conf? I do it, but it was somebody said to me, "Why don't why don't you do it? It's 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 in a sense easier than writing a message. You don't need to you don't need to think what you're going to write. You just talk, and I think maybe it overwhelms some uh, parts of the population, and some people love it because like, oh, you're you're showing me. Uh, and treat me like a human being. You're acknowledging me for for me, as opposed to, in a sense, or written message. It could be copy and paste, and I've sent that to I don't know fifty people. Whereas with a voice note, I can't. Well, not yet, but I, I wouldn't put it past people that it's going to go that way. That you could automate it and just change the, the the person's name. But it's it's taking a step to just acknowledge them as the person they are doesn't take that long would i say i was confident about it maybe not the first couple now depends on who it is um well you and i i think i did it to you and and it's like well it's it's giving you that that sense of uh connection and relationship straight away it's as if i'm talking face to face it gives you that respect of we may not know each other, but we want to to bring bring that relationship up from a from a, that one of a network to that of a relationship. Where I think, on the one hand, well, even with even with this itself, technology is kind of pulling people away the other way, and communication is very much typed. So you'll see people down, heads down, blah blah blah, and that's it. Whereas when you hear the younger generation talk about that notion of self-esteem, uh, no people skills, well, technically that's not, I could say to them, is that technically not true? You have a conversation with me. So you do have people skills. Uh, it's, it's the, uh, probably the anxiety around, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, being confident in their own, in their own selves. It's be, I'm going to be judged. Yeah, we've got enough critics in the world. It, it, why, why can't people be, um, what's the word I want to use? Bring people up. You get enough criticism watching television. So come back to that. It's, it's not having the fear to go out and do the thing you love. I think with you and I, in the past, that was sport. You'd probably be still content and, and be confident in that sporting arena because that is part of our persona. So it's 
when people say, "Oh, you look confident in that ring," yeah, yeah, because that's my that's my safety net. That's my that's my place of safety. I'm I'm content. I'm I feel good here because that identifies me a proportion of me. So I'm I'm all right with that. It's like, well, you have a perception of James the athlete. I don't mind living up to that. Whereas maybe something like you talk about being outside your comfort zone, that is when you maybe put the the the, the shutters up, bring the blinds down, say, mm, I don't like the look of that. I don't want any of that. Whereas it's thinking, well, does that come down to inner belief of you telling you you're not capable of it? Or are you listening to people from the external factor and say, oh, James, you're not good at this. Well, I think with me more specifically, I was lambasted for a video promo I did years ago in, in volleyball. And I took that to heart up until probably a few weeks ago. And I was like, when I had to do a video for a boot camp, just spilling everything out like you talking about you hit you punching the pillow, me actually digressing, going deep inside me and say, well, let me write down everything that's technically bad that's happened to me down the years and has affected me and spill it out. And it'd be, well, I don't believe this. I don't believe this. I don't believe that. That's, that's not this, this I'm and push back against it and say, well, let me spill it all out there for that audience to be. And that's me opening up. It's no longer, well, in my psyche, in my consciousness, me dealing with it. Let's put it out there, be open and go with it. And then obviously, as we progress on down the years, that will go, well, this is out here now. So it, it, it'll be to, to a greater audience. It'd be, there's nothing bad of being at one with your emotions. It's It's only because of stereotypes and societal stigma in the past where it was bad for men to show their feelings. It's like, well, with more and more people talking about it, that's going to become socially acceptable. Men and women being equal on that front to, to be able to speak about it. It's nothing bad. You and I would have both done it as kids, be very much at ease with speaking about our feelings, crying. Whereas I think, and I don't know what age that does stop and say, well, let me not show my feelings and kind of be hard nosed. I think maybe with the the athletes, maybe a little bit more pronounced, and maybe that's a generalization. And because, well, probably even more in your sport because you have to show that sense of I'm going to put my body on the line no matter what because it's uh, that kind of machismo. Um, environment. Yeah, uh, absolutely. As far as the football sport goes, like a lot of men are taught they have to be that that strong um, rock that can never express their emotions and has to always be this really uh, um, strong person, but that's not the case. None of us are that way. All, all of us have our vulnerabilities and all of us have our, our weak points and our fears and our insecurities, everybody does. Uh, I think the beautiful part about athletics that can be is that it allows you to be able to express some of that emotion. There's a lot of people that uh, have a lot of anger pent up, for example, and they allow it to be expressed through the sport 
so it doesn't come out in other ways, um, which can be good temporarily, but eventually that source of the negative emotion that you're experiencing has to be confronted. Right? There's only so long you can uh, hit somebody, hit legally, you know, physically abuse somebody uh, in a sport before that stops and you have to confront reality. Right? So you no longer can use that as your outlet. You have to be able to confront those things that are hiding within you that are causing you to want to express all that anger in the first place. Right? So I think sports can be phenomenal for expressing that. Uh, but eventually having to confront the underlying reason why you're having all of this anger, why you're experiencing all these emotions uh, is really important. And that's where like understanding your emotions is one of the most powerful things you can possibly do. And the problem is instead of understanding people judge and people look down upon, like if people are feeling bad about something, if they're feeling negative, we're taught that that's a bad thing. And in this super happy society that we're trying to get into it's not realistic and it's not, it's not real life. Life's not about being happy. Life's about experiencing all different kinds of emotions and understanding why you're feeling certain emotions in certain situations, right? Being able to step back from that moment and say, okay, I'm feeling this right now. Why am I feeling this? Okay. I'm going to let myself feel it and I'm going to understand where it's coming from and then move on, right? If I can understand why I'm always angry, I can, figure out how to not always be angry, right? But not, not judging in the moment, not saying, okay, Kian's angry now, this is bad. Stop being angry, stop being angry. Like that doesn't do anything. That just suppresses more emotion, which eventually the suppressed emotion manifests itself in some kind of disease or some kind of insane outburst, right? So eventually, no matter what we use as our outlet uh, to express our emotions, we'll eventually have to get to the source of why we're feeling those things in the first place. And that's really what I do. And that's what I love to do because I, I hyper do that for myself all the time. Like, I'm like, okay, why am I feeling this way? Okay, why did this happen? Why did that happen? All these things. So I can do that for other people. I can say, okay, you're experiencing these emotions. Let's not judge them. Let's allow yourself to feel them. So we'll go through some exercises to allow them to fully feel their emotions, maybe writing down anger they have towards themselves or towards other people. Like there's all these different practices, but eventually um, we always uh, get to the understanding of, of why we're feeling the way we are, why we have emotions that we have uh, so we can move forward with our lives. But would on the one hand, you talk about that judgment key would some people say, oh, and I can relate to what you're saying, say that you're just overthinking it sometimes. Absolutely. A hundred percent. And that's where a lot like we talked about with the, with the mice thing, when we were speaking before you said, is it me overthinking like a fear? Of, what would you say it was? It, you, you compared the mice to uh, my business. Go, well, me going into the unknown of going from what was my well, you could say full-time job, nine to five and going hundred percent back into the business. And is that a fear in itself? Because well, it's, there's no there's no more safety blanket. I've pulled the rug out from under me. Uh, there's no guarantee of a paycheck every month. So is it that fear manifesting itself in that perspective? And honestly, when you were talking about it, I just said a lot of people are going to be freaked out by mice. You know, like you got mice in the house. You know, it is what it is. I, I, I maybe it's I think it's fully independent from that. I guess I don't know entirely, um, but. Who knows? Like there is times when I do overthink it. Um, so it's one thing to allow a thought or emotion to like 
overconsume your mind where like it's all you're doing is thinking about it. But it's another just to temporarily contemplate and just, just think, okay, interesting, this happened. But not allow yourself to be consumed by it. So I think there's definitely a difference between uh, the quick thought and understanding rather than allowing it to like control your life and try to give it some massive other meaning to where it's like influencing your decisions in a negative way, making you act out of a place of fear uh, because of this idea that you have surrounding it. Instead of just using it as it is, making it a huge deal can also happen with people, which happens to me sometimes, happens to everybody. Um, but when that does happen, being able to step back and say, okay, this happened. What is this action steps I can do to get over it and then be able to move on? Well, I put it into content format when I was out and we were talking about it off air. I put, I used it as content and, and kind of said, well, you could manifest it as, well, anything in life. I put more towards nutrition and health. Well, why don't you go on the offensive? It's, it's the, my, the mouse itself. It's probably as scared, as scared of you as you are of it. And then probably technically it's probably scared of you more so because of, well, you're a predator and stuff because you're, bit, you're bigger. So it's probably scared. The, it's probably scared. the Well, it is being scared the crap out of because you're trying to see where it is on it. That's probably why it's bolting. So it's, so it's like, so it's like, well, yeah, so from that sense, well, why should I be scared of it? I'm, well, say 10 times bigger than it, relatively speaking. Probably that's probably in a sense, but so it should be scared of me more than me be of it. But I get, I guess because what we spoke about off air of what you think of it historically, it's, it's intruding in your space. You don't like that in anything in, in life. Uh, be you don't like people, even people um, coming in your, your personal space. So that that is probably where it comes down to. It's like, well, you're invading my space, my safe place, and whatever emotion is going to come from. Okay, that that was maybe oh, trepidation, anxiety, fear. I could have gone the other way and go you know, rage mode where, where, where it's like it's talking to my family about it on the phone. My uncle took a, well, when he was on holiday in France, he took a, a slipper to a mouse. So that's going the other way in rage. Bang. Thinking, well, that's maybe not me as a person. It's like, well, because I think I contemplate, well, do I do the um, environmental thing and, and, and catch them and let them live and release or or do you do the, the normal thing and well you're a pest you must die whereas thinking well you read up on it and say well they're going to come back anyway you'd have to release them a long way away for them not to come back to what for them is their comfort zone it's warm it's they've got food they've got shelter why am i going to leave that well, I'm going to come back and, oh, this was nice. It's the same with a human being. Why Why are you going to leave what is comfortable to tackle something that is, as you say, outside your comfort zone? Because you're not. It's it's We are instinctively designed genetically to not go away from the herd. So this, this entrepreneurship and going solo, that's maybe we're going to face a lot of barriers. 
and maybe even if I go from the athlete perspective, I had family members say to me when I started out, well, why, why you want to do that as a career? Why don't you go the normal route and get a real job? And I think maybe because I was going towards something that I wanted to do, and that's probably why business is the calling. Well, this is what I'm going to do. Back then, I probably took no notice of people. It'd be, well, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to take on board what you say, but it's going to come out the other side if it's not conducive of where I'm at. Whereas now, I'll have a different conversation. Say, this is why I want to go this way, ABC, and this is why I'm going away from the what quote quote the norm, and they'll and they're starting to come back in alignment with me, and they're seeing well, my health's got to be paramount. I I I we we're not destined for life indefinitely, so if it means reduce stress, and I get back to what was the normal James, which happy-go-lucky. I'm not getting verbally abused, which nobody deserves to be like that. If I'm showing respect, I accept, I expect to receive it in some way a kind back. It doesn't have to be completely all the way because you and I were both teenagers at one time. We were probably pushed the boundaries at time and, and uh, challenge authority. But it's like, well, I did show an ounce of respect a good proportion of the time. So I think me stepping away from that environment was going to help because it's a toxic one at that. But then moving forward, like you say, being able to resonate, be a lot among peers who are like-minded, it's, it's a no brainer because everybody's not willing. It's not wanting to, sorry, push you down. It's like, well, if I can give you a helping hand and you're struggling, I'm going to bring you up to the next level. It's that way inclined. And I think that's maybe what an athlete can learn from sometimes because we have that notion of probably that dog-eat-dog mentality. And then you probably agree with that with personal training. It's very much the same way. If I'm going to try and cut that rope from above you so you can't get up, but then if we can help each other out, and there's no um, maliciousness or I want something out of it in return, it helps the greater good. Yeah, absolutely. And talking about that, especially with athletes, that mentality of a doggy dog, that survival of the fittest kind of mentality, uh, realize that it doesn't work and it never really throughout – history i feel that that mentality has actually worked for people and if you look at uh, the simple foundation of life like a cell how did a human become a human this is this is i want to give an example of why survival of the fittest does not work especially in today's society uh you look at a simple cell like how, how did a human start let's say it's a simple cell a single cell organism just a cell the cell realized that in order for it to continue to eat in order for it to continue to expand in order for it to continue to move and gain, uh, it had to be able to join with another cell, right? So add another cell that could have more functions, do more functions. So now you have two cells. These two cells can do more. They can move. They can expand more freely throughout an area. They can work together to get food. They can do more. Well, eventually these two cells realized they needed more. So these two cells got together two more cells. And so now you have four cells. These four cells can do way more than they ever could before. They can gather more food. They can expand into more territory. 
they can get more supplies because there's more of them, right? So eventually these cells realize that they need to specialize. So now you start to develop organs. So you get a heart, you have kidneys, you have the liver, you have all these different groups of people or organ organisms doing different jobs of working as one. And so eventually they say, okay, well now we need one massive organism to be able to house all these organs. So now you have all these different individuals that have their specialties working as one unit, being able to do more than they could ever possibly imagine. So when you look at a human body and how it started as a single cell and developed into multi -cell, multiple cells and then eventually organs into this huge organism, you look at how the foundation of life works, survival of the fittest doesn't work if you had all these cells saying, no, I'm better on my own, I'm gonna fight you and be good on my own, there'd be no advancement. There'd be zero advancement. Advancement comes from collaboration. So especially in today's world that we're living in, where we have to come together in order to allow this planet to survive, uh, survival of the fittest is dead. We're no longer living in a time where that was ever or is prevalent. So in order for us to be able to continue to move forward as a society and be able to continue to live in a world where we can actually live where the world's not trashed entirely, we have to be able to come together. And that, that works on a single person's basis, but also on a worldly basis. So once you realize that I need other people to be able to move forward with my life and be able to advance to, and become my greatest me, uh, that's when you're going to advance more than you could ever possibly imagine. But if you try to just like go through life thinking that I can do everything on my own and screw everybody else, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it because I have all this pride, it will never work. You found that. I found that. We need people. We need people to be able to move forward. And, everybody, and people need us. So recognizing that uh, survival of the fittest is, is dead and a survival of the most well-adapted in regard to being able to work with people is what's cool and what's in, uh, I think the world would be a much, much better place. I'm probably moving to my, my penultimate question for you, Keen. In terms of probably challenging people's uh, inhibitions and, and probably perceptions towards things or changing them, how would you get, in your opinion, people to challenge – I didn't word that question correctly. I'll rephrase it. If you want to get people to challenge or change their perceptions – of their mindset, how would you get them to do that first and foremost? I would first have them question why they do everything that they do. Because the reality of it is that most people just go through life doing what they've always done because they just think that's just what they do. But in reality, what most people don't realize is that most of the actions that we take without conscious thought behind them are solely actions that we developed through our earlier years of our life by observing people in our life, by our parents, by our teachers, by influential friends. Uh, that's why we are the way we are most of the time, not because we're making the conscious choice to do it. So most of us that are doing these self-sabotaging activities or just going through life without any kind of reflection aren't actually living a life of free will. We're living a life of learned behavior. So if you want to be able to change your mindset and be able to become the person you know you're capable of being, Question why you do everything. Okay, why is it that I, that I uh, think this way? Why do I have this fear surrounding this? Why do I believe this religion? Why do I think this way of politics? Like, question why you believe the way you do and why you do the things you do. Because uh, then you're going to actually start to be able to see things from a clear, neutral perspective. When you're looking at things from the inside out, you're able to actually understand, okay, I believe this, but like, it doesn't make sense. This doesn't serve me. Like, why do I think this? 
okay, I, this doesn't make sense. So I'm going to think a different way. You know, so first reflect, reflect, reflect. It takes a lot of reflection of, of thinking, understanding why you, why you think the way you do. And then being open to the fact that the way you think could be wrong in regard to everything. So reflecting, acknowledging that you 100% could be wrong in the way you currently think. And three, being open to all possibilities regarding change. So reflection, acknowledgement, and then open to the idea that uh, there are many other ideas that you could have other better ways of being. And my final question to Kian before we wrap up the episode, if you had to summarize what we've been speaking about into one sentence for people to take away, what would that be? That's a phenomenal question. Uh, ref- being able to adequately reflect on your own way of being and your own decisions is one of the most important things that you can possibly do. But then once you have that information, many people don't do anything with it. At that point, once you do the reflection, you then open yourself up to other possibilities and being okay with where you are in that moment. So I think being able to reflect, being able to be okay with where you are at that time, and then being open to other possibilities uh, is the best way for you to be able to advance and move forward with your life. But uh, I didn't really touch on that, that subject of being okay with where you are. That comes down to having grace for yourself. Like if you're not where you are or where you want to be, giving yourself grace in that moment of time uh, is very, very important for you to be able to move forward. We kind of touched on that earlier regard to being okay with where you are and be able to reflect and give yourself a pat on the back for things you did in your past. Um, being okay with where you are in the present, I think is one of the most important things for you to be able to do to be able to then move forward with your life. And my follow-up question for you for that, Kian, is if anybody wanted to work with you from a coaching perspective, how would they go about doing that? And what program could they utilize best from using using yourself as the vehicle to get them in a better place? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Getting a hold of me, my name is Kian Loggy. I'm sure you'll have it spelled out on the, on the notes of the show. Uh, on Facebook, I'm more than happy if you have any questions people have or you are interested in further coaching, uh, reach out. I always respond to everybody, so don't hesitate. Also on Instagram, um, it's Kian Loggy on Instagram. You can find me there. Uh, in regard to what I normally do for coaching, uh, it all starts from the inside out, right? So I do mental, emotional work, but also, um, internal digestive based work as well a lot of people don't realize that your digestive tract is the foundation of all health so when i work with people uh, i first handle the inside insides right the mental emotional side but also digestive side um, so people are able to move forward with their life and be able to actually gain a better relationship uh, with people around them but also their own bodies so taking on both those things at the same time is kind of what i do um, if you want to hear more about it like i said don't hesitate to reach out I'm more than happy to answer any questions. So once again, Kian, thanks again for coming on the podcast. Yes, thank you, James, so much for having me on, man. An amazing time. Oh, the pleasure has been absolutely mine. If you like this episode, please do share it with your friends and do let Kian and I know what you thought of the episode by tagging us over on Instagram at kian.lagi. That's K. E-Y-E-N dot L-A-G-E and 
at James O. Roberts 11. Again, you can do that on Twitter and Facebook. Do check out his social media and again, do check out my free content at fitamputee.co.uk forward slash free dash resources. Make sure to check those out. The links will be in the description. You can find all the show notes at mindsetgame.lipson.com under the category psychology. So once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next week for another episode of the Mindset Athlete Podcast.